is to get that piece of crap out of my ring. Don't just get him out of the ring, get him out of the WWF. Because I've proved, son, without a shadow of a doubt, you ain't got what it takes anymore. You sit there and you thump your Bible and you say your prayers and it didn't get you anywhere. Talk about your Psalms, talk about John 3.16. Austin 3.16 says I just whipped your ass. Come on, that's not necessary. All he's got to do is go buy him a cheap bottle of Thunderbird and try to dig back some of that courage he had in his prime. As the king of the ring, I'm serving notice to every one of the WWF superstars. I don't give a damn what they are. They're all on the list, and that's Stone Cold's list, and I'm fixing to start running through all of them. As far as this championship match is considered, son, I don't give a damn if it's Davey Boy Smith or Shawn Michaels. Steve Austin's time has come. And when I get the shot, you're looking at the next WWF champion. And that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Matt Madness Wrestling Podcast. I am your host, Ron Pashery Jr., and with me this week, my good friend, Mr. Wednesday Night Live. We call him Alo. The ladies call him Balo, Aaron Lloyd. This week, we will be discussing King of the Ring 1996. Uh, first thing that I want to just get out of the way before we get started with anything, Alo, I just wanted to commend you on an excellent solo show last week. I know it's not the first one you've ever recorded, but it's, <laughs> well, the, first it's the first one, one we've ever been you. able to publish. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I thought you did a really good job. I, I told you this, um, you know, over the weekend. Uh, the the thing that I appreciated most about it was that you didn't get like kind of hung up, like lost in your thoughts. I know it's very easy to do that when you're by yourself. And uh, you told me that you were like, you you wrote out some notes and I was impressed with the fact that it didn't sound like you were reading from notes. It sounded natural, like you were just naturally talking. So excellent work. I wanted to tell you that. I know it's a tough thing to record by yourself. Um, and then especially the first one you're putting out there, you don't know how it's going to be received. So I thought you did a good job, and I wanted to let you know. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, you're welcome. Like I said, I know. So, And that's the thing. It's not even that we never got it published. And I never even got to hear it because I, I never got the audio from it. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> so the first solo band. show that you've had that has seen the light of day. Yeah, uh, <laughs> so what I think I did wrong was I uh, when, when Garage Band opens, I think I hit voice. Mm. And that's why you couldn't get it probably. Yeah. So I I looked it up on YouTube how to accurately do it, and it said just go to new project. So it just sends as a basic audio and nothing else. Yeah. And and this time when you sent it, I was able to get right to it. The last time it was like searching through a zip folder to find an audio file, and there was just no audio file. In really. There. So okay. this time it was like I opened it and it was right there. I was like, oh, perfect. Um, also, I want to apologize in advance if my audio is weird, if it's too loud, if it's not loud enough. I cannot get a read on this microphone tonight. My volume levels are sometimes are coming in way too high. Sometimes it's way too low. I'm doing my best to just talk at one even volume myself. But if for any reason listening to this podcast, my volume is too much or not enough, uh, my, my apologies. Um, and then one thing before we get into King of the Ring, 
obviously, I don't know if we can not address this. Uh, clearly, uh, the wrestling community is going through a tumultuous time. Uh, a lot of, uh, I guess, sexual offenders are being brought to light uh, in the wrestling community. Uh, Sammy Guevara, who... Uh, to his defense, I'll at least say he did not actually do anything to anyone that I've seen. <laughs> but I, I want to say that the first time Sammy Guevara came to my attention was when uh, I already know where you're going to go. When I he showed know. up uh, as part of Chris. What is, what is Chris Jericho's career even called? Like, I'm so Inner lost circle. right now. I don't even remember what it's called. Inner Circle. Yes, when he first showed up in the inner circle, I remember coming on this show saying how much I love Jericho, how much I love the idea of the inner circle, and the way it was presented, and the way it came together, but I hated Sammy Guevara, he seemed like a creep, and to actually tweet, when I saw Sasha Banks, I wanted to rape her, or whatever, that's paraphrasing, I don't know if that's the exact quote, what kind of, like, have never touched a woman before in your life type of shit is that? That your instinct to seeing someone is, oh, I want to rape her. Like, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> like, again, I'll, I'll, I'll at least say we've seen a lot of horrible things that have come out in the past week. And he has not physically assaulted anyone. But, my God, that is a, a crazy thing to think, let alone tweet in public. Yeah, um, yeah a lot of craziness. I, I, I want to say, like... I'm not really surprised. Okay, I'm glad you said that because that was that's where I was going to go. Um, I mean, disappointed but not surprised. You know what I mean? Like, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. there are things I see I've seen about certain people that I'm like, oh, him too, but not surprised. It's it's a weird industry. It's a weird little world that they live in, and I'm sure there's a lot of weirdness that goes on even beyond this stuff. But I'll also say, um, I'm happy. That people are speaking up and speaking out, uh, which is the seems to be the hashtag that, that everyone's using. And I'm also happy, very much like we talked about Black Lives Matter a couple weeks ago, how that's becoming more of like the standard belief. A lot of people four years ago who aren't on board with Black Lives Matter have come around now, and it's kind of become the norm, the accepted side of the argument to be on. And I feel like now we're getting to a point where uh, women being treated more respectfully and women not being put in positions where they are made to feel unsafe is becoming like the normal accepted thing now. So it's at least good to see like we're progressing in that sense where women are speaking out and they're at least being taken seriously. And it seems like people want this to change. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on this, but like obviously I'd love to hear it if, if you do. Have you heard the Matt Riddle story? I so I have, and I saw okay. what he was accused of. I saw what his response to it was, and I saw what his wife's response to it was. I know that he still debuted on SmackDown this week. It was taped. It, the SmackDown was taped before. Okay, so he was already there. Um, yeah. And I don't know what to make of it. You know, like I don't know. Um, How about Cornette and his wife? Did you hear about that? Yeah, I did. Uh huh. <laughs> Uh, and again, I'm, I'm not surprised that okay, yeah. creepy little fucking weirdo. I'm not surprised. Yeah. yeah. So I'll start there that, that him and his wife, you know, the guy fucking creeps. But, uh, like you said, 
And I got a couple, I got a DM from some a fan on Instagram about this before we started. But my thoughts, I'm like, it's it's unfortunate, but like you said, like I'm not surprised. And this in the wrestling business is a weird business. Like even like the post office. Like sometimes <laughs> there are women that sleep with the managers to get ahead. And then there's some that the managers or the male figures there, they kind of put the influence and power on them and like which they have the ability to hold them down and vice versa. So it's not surprising to see, like we've heard about the, like we've heard somewhat stories about this throughout the entire thing of wrestling, of of women being sexually assaulted. Uh, Like there's names going around today that have rumored kind of slept their way to the positions they're in. And who knows if that was their choice or, you know, the powers that be came down on them, you know? So it's, it's rough to see. And especially like some of, some of our favorites, you know, like you love Matt Riddle. Uh, I like Matt Riddle too. And uh, Marty Skrull was a, uh, uh, alleged one of them too. Mm-hmm. Jack Gallagher got released because of it. Uh, Jordan Devlin, guys like that. And I'm sure there's more of it, more that's going to come out. And I'm sure, especially, um, I'll just say it. Like, I'm sh- like, Somebody will say Vince. I'm telling you this right now. <laughs> so, mm. is th- th- there will be that one bold person that just drops Vince, McN- Vince, McMahon- Vince McMahon's name. Like I'm not shocked at anybody's name that comes out because that's just how the business kind of is, you know. And it's un- it is definitely unfortunate to see. I'm glad that people are speaking out about it. I'm kind of glad, like you said, that everybody's coming together about it. So if there's a better time to just come out, come out what is now, then by all means, just say what you got to say because everybody's coming out and everybody's being accused. But as long as you're telling the truth, just come out with it at this point. Like you you should feel at at a point of comfortability to just say whatever you got to say. Yeah. And the the thing with Matt Riddle, and it's a tough thing because like my, my first instinct is always like, I, I want in my heart, I want to believe the accuser. Uh, And I typically will believe the accuser because I, I think it's a hard thing to come forward about something like this and I don't I think the vast majority of women who come forward with these types of things are telling the truth I think it's a rarity that someone comes out and lies about this um, in the case of Matt Riddle like I said we've now seen two sides of the story his side of the story has been kind of uh, backed up by his wife but then after that I saw like some report that like other pe- other people within the industry are aware of the Matt R- Riddle situation and they do believe it. So as someone who is a fan of Matt Riddle, not even just as a wrestler, like I've always liked him as a guy, like when he was on the Ultimate Fighter, I thought he was just like such a funny, interesting kid. He was like 19 or 20 years old at the time. Um, he's got such an interesting character, like meeting him... Uh, a couple years ago at the 2300 arena was, was really cool. He was such a nice guy. I want to believe that he didn't do it, but at the same time, if he did, and it's proven that he did, like, I just kind of have to wash my hands of him. Like, you know, you kind of have to do in these situations. Um, I don't know. It's, it's unfortunate. Like it's unfortunate for fans who now can't look at some of their favorites the same way anymore. But like infinitely worse than that is the fact that there are, like human lives that have been made to like suffer and forced to like change for the worse because of some of these men, like even Marty Skrull, like he basically admitted it. Uh, Mm -hmm. 
Like his statement that he came out with was basically, well, I thought it was consensual and it was legal. And it's like, okay, dude, <laughs> like maybe 16 years old was legal in like whatever state or whatever, wherever this happened. But like, that's still weird, man. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> unless you are 17 or like 18, you shouldn't be having any type of, uh, sexual interaction with a 16 year old. Yeah, because I think there's because Velveteen Dream is back in the news, and I think like his alleged encounters were when he was 18, I believe. Because granted, he's still I think he's what 22, 23 years old. Uh, I think he so I think he was 21 or 22 on when he was on the show. So he's probably like 25 now, maybe 26. I okay. think. I might be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure, like, when he came to our attention, uh, he I think he was 20, 21 or 22. But, yeah, what is what is his actual – what is the actual story with him? Uh, give me one second. I'll mm-hmm. pull it up for you because I have it – I had somebody send me the DM a little bit earlier. Now he's 24. He'll be 25 in August. Okay. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, he didn't send me the exact uh, DMs, but he, this isn't the first time he's been accused of that. He was accused a couple months ago, and he kind of said like we're dealing with it now. Uh, and he basically made it out that this was this was no big deal. This wasn't an actual uh, thing that he did. Now, now I haven't actually read what has gone on with him now, but I feel like when these things continue to pop up it's where there's smoke there's usually fire i guess is the the way that i'll i'll say it okay one second mm-hmm. so i'm trying to check his age because these messages are from 2016 so that's four so he'd have been 20 yeah so he's been yeah because he's, he's not yeah he's not 24 yet so he was 20 21 so basically his situation is they're saying it was with an underage girl. Yeah, she was 16 and he was 21. Yeah, that's creepy, man. And if he did mm-hmm. that, like, I'm sorry if I can't, I kind of can't look at him the same way. Yeah, because if he was 18, that's still, you know, it's it's just a whole like, oh, I'm an adult now. But it's just like, you see 18-year-olds with 16, 17-year-old girlfriends. Right, that's like a senior yeah. in high school dating a sophomore in high school, which isn't that uncommon. Yeah. You know, like my parents are two years apart. <laughs> That's not that uncommon. Uh, yeah. So I guess it, the, we'll, we'll leave it with this because I this is is not really a conversation I want to have. I don't really want to go too much deeper into it. I, I think the only thing I want to say is I want to be clear that I think it's wrong, that I think everyone who has done any of these things deserves to be punished, um, that every woman who has had anything like this done to her deserves the chance to speak out and have her voice heard and be taken seriously. And I hope that the wrestling community at large, like takes this seriously and grows and moves forward from it in a positive way. Um, but yeah, I, it's like I said, not surprising, but it is disappointing and wish we could have started the show talking about almost anything else, you know? Yeah. And especially for the Matt Riddle thing, because Matt Riddle got a, a victory on SmackDown and over AJ Styles, by the way, which is huge on your first on your yeah. debut. And I already know Bruce Pritchard, who's running both shows. He's a huge fan of Matt Riddle. He's quoted as saying Matt Riddle can be the next guy in WWE. 
So I'm curious to see like where they go from here with Matt. Right. Like, like will they keep were... the steam going or will they take yeah. their foot off the gas to yeah to like, let this die down? Yeah, because you already know like especially nowadays with like social media, it's like you can kind of face like social media pressure or whatever. Like WWE releasing Jack Gallagher, that's nothing to them. But somebody actually had an intention on building around is actually as a thing you kind of got to like, like, eh, like, what are you actually going to do? Yeah. Uh, and I, I guess we'll see, you know, but I'm glad that there's been somewhat of a day of reckoning for some of these monsters that, that, that have been accused of some of this stuff. Um, so King of the Ring 1996 took place exactly uh, 24 years ago from the time we're recording this, June 23rd, 1996, uh, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, I guess we could talk just, like, the legacy of this show. I guess there are a couple legacies to this show. Like, one is the legacy of Austin 316 says, I just whipped your ass. Maybe the... One of the biggest things to come out of that whole generation of wrestling, um, the crowning of Stone Cold Steve Austin as the King of the Ring, um, and then of course there's the the story of Triple H was supposed to win King of the Ring that year and ended up not being crowned because of the uh, the curtain call with the click. Um, so really, it's it's more of a matter to me of like the legacy of this show is it's almost like we talk a lot about uh like when when life hands you lemons make lemonade and that's exactly what they did here like what happened on this show was not the way it was planned but they made the best out of what happened and it ended up working out infinitely for the best that it worked out the way it did um so was there any particular reason why you chose king of the ring 96 as a well, show like you wanted you, to review. Well, like you said, 24 years to the day as we're recording. And another, you said also a monumental moment in wrestling. Uh, and we talked about this years ago on the show. Uh, Jay Vargas, he actually brought this to our attention. How Shawn Michaels is kind of like, the Shawn Michaels is the reason a lot of certain things happened or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, like you, like you said about the current call. If, triple, if they don't do the current call and Triple H doesn't get punished for it, does Austin 316 happen? Because basically that promo would be evaporated in the in wrestling history, based possibly more than likely, and it, it wouldn't happen at this event. So it's interesting to go back in time and actually think about that. It is, um, and like, would Triple H have gone on to do all the things with DX that he did? Like, who knows what route any of this would have taken if it would have been Triple H that won King of the Ring. This you year, because he won the next year. Yeah, so like, does like does the attitude era unfold the way it did? If this happened, like, really, there there is no way to know. But it, you can't imagine it would have worked out better than it did. Mm-hmm. Like, this was the best the best uh, unfolding of events they could have ever asked for. Um, and like, Stone Cold made the most of it. Vince made the most of it. The the whole promotion made the most of it. Um, I was between my summer and junior year of high school. Uh, yeah, my junior and senior year of high school at this time. So you were, what grade were you going into? Uh, I believe I was in between going to kindergarten and first grade. All right. So two very <laughs> different uh, points in life that we were at at this time. Were you an avid wrestling fan already or not quite yet? No, not yet. 
Okay, so you were not watching at this point. No. <laughs> okay. Um, so I was, uh, and I guess the first thing we'll start with, Alo, do we have a rating system in place? Yes, come on in, Howard. The following podcast has a rating system in place. If it's a horrible show, it gets a jobber. If the show falls somewhere in the middle, it gets a slower knocker. And if it is an amazing show, it gets the rating of ratings. It will get a show stopper. Thank you, Howard. R.I.P. Uh, thank you, as always, Howard. So, Alo, your rating for King of the Ring 96. Uh, I'm gonna give it a slobber knocker. I, I always enjoy like I always enjoy like watching these old shows, especially with Vince on commentary, because you know how we always say that he Vince like we could hear Mike like Vince pipe and Michael Cole lines and hearing Vince say like mm-hmm. when Sasha Banks come out, oh it's boss time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, Roman Reigns, the big dog. Like I I always can appreciate that. So I always appreciate hearing Vince. I gotta say this before I forget. Owen Hart stole the show from the jump. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> From the jump. I'm going to talk a lot about Owen Hart throughout every match because I thought he was amazing. And like you said, the rise of Stone Cold Steve Austin and, and if Triple H doesn't get punished, that we might not got Austin 316 hour. Especially like if you listen to Bruce Pritchard's show and they, he talks about right after he said that, the shirts, they could barely keep them in stock. It was the top selling shirt in the company before Austin was even in the world title scene at that point. And I really thought it was this interesting card. I ran down the card. It was fun to see Goldust. Uh, Shawn Michaels, when he was sexy, it's good to see. <laughs> and uh, a few more things I'll get to when we start talking about the show. But, yeah, I just gave it a slobber knocker. I thought it was a solid show. A little bit – some of the matches too long for me, but I did enjoy it. So, um, obviously, you know, I'm very big on um, trying not to – trying not to have, like, the – the popular opinion or the mainstream opinion. Like I definitely have always prided myself on having a different point of view. And I also am very big on just looking through the lens of like, how does this thing, like, how do I feel? Like, how did this match make me feel? How did this show make me feel? Like, what are the memories I have attached to it? Um, So I judge it a little differently than most people. So I said this the last time I was on, how I've been having a hard time connecting to anything because of just everything that's going on in the world and a lot of my anxiety about being back to work when I don't really think it's necessarily safe to be in an enclosed space with a lot of people. And, you know, there's just a lot going on. And I've, I've found it really hard to connect with things. I did connect with this. It's not to say it was like a great, uh, pay-per-view probably by any traditional sense, but just for the fact that this actually was an escape for me, uh, I'm going to give it a showstopper because I was not ex- I was not expecting to get invested in it at all, and I did. Um, <laughs> so for that reason alone, I have to give it a showstopper. Um, we, we need to throw in a hallelujah chorus for this. <laughs> and one more one more thing too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so me and Angel we're we're. Uh... Well, me personally, I'm having a hard time coming up with boy names. Mm-hmm. So uh, she kept saying the name Austin to me. And I'm like, <laughs> eh, 
And then I was kind of like watching ahead of the stuff and the stuff we have going forward. And I, I, I kind of like fell in love with the idea of like if I if I name my son Austin, I could do all the Vince isms. You could. To, <laughs> I, I could do that to him. Like Austin. He'd still have <laughs> your like he'd share your initials still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I, I kind of like fell in love with that idea. It's still up in the air, but I was like, I, I, it's kind of growing on me. It, like, like just that idea. Like, like I said, like, like I got what, what, what's that Vince line about his? Uh, oh, he's like, like Vince, you got the balls to fire me. What, oh, what, is, yeah. what does Vince say? You ain't got the balls to fire <laughs> me, Vince. I don't have the balls. Um, oh yeah, what does he say? Um, I got balls big as grapefruits or something like that. But I just fell yeah. in love with like, all the Vince and like I actually say like when he like pisses me off. I don't have the balls. <laughs> yeah, he does say that though. Like I come Sunday night, you'll find out I have balls the size of grapefruit. Yeah, he does, but he does say like there is a line where he says, Austin, I will fire your ass. You're right. <laughs> yeah. Um So you also have Austin Creed. Um yes. you also one. have like Austin Aries, I know who I know was like a big favorite of yours at least a couple years ago. Yeah. You know, uh, there are a lot of good and and he could legitimately have the claim to the name Alo if his name was Austin Lloyd. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> there's like so much. There there are way too many positives. I feel yes. like I'm my vote is in. You know, <laughs> you already know I will lobby until the day this child is born. If it's a girl, I want her to be named Veronica, oh, so no. she could be little Ronnie. But. <laughs> I'm already I'm sold on if it's a boy being named Austin. Uh, <laughs> there, there's just too many things going the right way for for this for, for this little boy not to be named Austin. <laughs> um, so I forgot that the Ultimate Warrior was back at this point. Uh, yeah. didn't was not expecting that. I totally forgot about that. Um, we had marvelous Mark Marrow, who was like a, a, a big signing, quote unquote, of Vince's uh, at this time. This is like very early Stone Cold Steve Austin. I think he was only Stone Cold for like two or three months mm-hmm. at this point. The stunner was new. Yeah. At this point, he didn't even have the kick to the gut yet. Yeah. This was like the development. Of, this was like the NXT version of Stone Cold <laughs> Steve Austin. Um like you said, Vince, just the opening of Vince announcing from the Mecca in Milwaukee. I, I appreciate it was called the Mecca. The me Mecca too. Arena. And, and as if Milwaukee has anything <laughs> that could be referred to as a Mecca. Um, Owen Hart out holding his Slammy Award with that fantastic mullet uh, was just excellent. Um, it's interesting. So this is the, and another thing. Like There was four guys that they brought in in 96. And, like, one of them obviously was Austin. One of them was Mick Foley. One was Mark Marrow. And there's one other one that I'm forgetting. It was, like, four guys that they brought in from... Oh, Vader, I think, was the other one. These four guys they brought in uh, from WCW. And they were supposed to be, like, part of this next wave. And you have to imagine, like, Vader... Like, Mark Marrow, we already know, like, Vince was huge on. Because he loved the Johnny B. Bad character. In his Mm -hmm. mind... Mark Marrow was going to be a star. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vader had already been so successful, like in Japan, in WCW. Obviously, they had huge plans for him when bringing him there. Like the fact that of those four, Stone Cold was the one that, like, he, he had the Ringmaster gimmick and then he becomes Stone Cold and becomes the thing that, like, basically saved WWF. Um, it's just amazing to think about that. At that time, like, 
they did not have the plan to make Steve Austin a star. They were not planning to build anything around Steve Austin, and he just kind of figured out a way to make it happen. It's unreal, like, when you think about it, how, how easily none of that could have ever happened. Yeah, definitely. It, it really shocked. And, like, I haven't, I haven't seen a bunch of Mark Merrill matches, but I, everything I've seen, I've been impressed with. He's, like, really good in the ring. And you always hear about the meeting with Vince and JR and Merrill and Sable, and they say, I think JR is quoted on saying, we signed the wrong person, but they eventually does do sign Sable. Mm-hmm. And I think in the Sable thing, we all know that worked out for them in a huge way, even though she sued the company a couple times. Right. But, yeah, but I, I kind of got to start with uh, Owen Hart. So they show the recap of how Mark Merrill got here, <laughs> and he beats Owen, and, and Owen says, well, my shoulder was up. His, his shoulders are laying flat on the mat. Then the next week, he attacks uh, Mark Merrill. He's like, oh, I slipped. I was trying to shake his hand. I slipped his hand. <laughs> so I Showing good that. sportsmanship. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then, But it was weird seeing Austin coming out with no glass shattering. I thought that was strange for me. Mm-hmm. No vests. Just coming out, and like you said, the stunner was was new at this point. And it was also interesting to see Austin as kind of the ringmaster, even though he's getting out of that because he was more of a technician than an actual brawler at this time. And I got to ask a question. Mm-hmm. This is before she got big. Were you a fan of Sable here? <laughs> yeah, there was a time when I definitely was into Sable. Like I, so obviously you know I'm a big fan of like a bit. Or going overboard with things, like pushing them beyond what I actually think or what I actually believe. So I know I have spoken uh, negatively about Sable in the past, and a lot of that is just because of her affiliation with Brock. <laughs> but yeah, there was at, at this point in time, and like for these couple years during the Attitude Era, I definitely had an appreciation for Sable. I can't pretend I didn't. Okay. And the way Owen was talking about her was great. It was great. <laughs> like, just shitting on her the entire time. This hose, he called her a hose bag at one point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And I always loved JR being the one to try to, like, come in and, and, like, defend the woman. Like, well, come on, you don't have to say that about her. Um, yeah, so, yeah, Mark Merrow was, like, a really good athlete. They, like, he could, he was capable of more in the ring than I think a lot of people remember. I think, like, I think what Vince probably fell in love with with him was he probably wanted to do, like, some comedy-type stuff with him because Johnny B. Bad was, like, supposed to look like Little Richard, and I think there was probably stuff like that he wanted to do with them that they, they just didn't really do. Um, and he, of course, got so overshadowed by Sable that I don't think it ever even mattered what he was capable of doing. Especially at a certain point, yeah. Yeah, so this match... I guess what I'll ask you is, what would the IWC have said about this match if it happened June 23rd, 2020? Oh, oh, oh God. What would they say? Uh, well, Sable will be trending number one. She would be trending number one well, worldwide. Uh, uh, well, well, in my opinion, number two. We'll get to number one in a little bit. Okay. Um, uh, I was like, 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 that Austin, like, up and coming star. And then you'll get, oh, I knew Austin was going to win. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh my God! Push Marrow. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, we had the botched Luthez press yes. at one point. Um, so this match, and here's another thing. This is another example of like things that weren't planned or intended that ended up working out so much in their favor. Is Austin gets his lip busted open during this match, and mm-hmm. had to get the 16 stitches or whatever it was in his lip. 
And to me, just as much as like the Austin 316 line, like that image of him with like that stitched together lip when he says it, it's like part of the whole thing. You know, that he won that match with the bloody mouth and comes back with the stitched up fat lip. If even if you don't have that image of him, it may not resonate quite the same. Like him having that demeanor, talking in that tone he was talking, and then saying what he said, I feel like it all just kind of came together so perfectly. And obviously him busting his lip open wasn't planned. You couldn't plan for that. And it just kind of happened to work out in his favor. So Austin wins with the, the Stone Cold Stunner. No kick. Um, and... The last thing I'll say before we move on, and, let, and and if you have anything more to say about this match or either guy, um, while watching this match, I just wrote down a take that I don't know. I don't know if we've talked about it on the show really before. Owen is better than Brett. Oh, I've, we've said this for Owen is, <laughs> and I don't think it's even close. Oh yeah, neither do I. And not only is Owen better than Brett. Brett isn't even in the conversation. <laughs> uh, we've, we've had that conversation numerous times. I remember we reviewed WrestleMania 10 when we talked about the match between the two, and we all said it. I know Prep was adamant about it, but I think we're all in the same boat of Owen being better than Brett. And, and I'm not saying I like Owen more than Brett. Owen was just better. <laughs> yes. There was, there was really nothing in the ring physically that Brett could do that Owen couldn't. Um and as a personality, it's not even it, – it, Owen is light years beyond what Brett could ever do. So Brett is looked at as like one of – like I don't think fans necessarily feel this way for the most part. Like I don't think he's on a ton of Mount Rushmore's. But I think like when you think of like the industry he's viewed in that category for whatever reason, and there's no way he's he's not even the best brother. Yeah. Like – Owen is light years better than Bret Hart ever was. Um, so any more thoughts on Mark Marrow or Austin or this match? Oh, no, not at all. Um, thought it was a good opener, though. Semi-final for the King of the Ring tournament. Uh, we got an interview with Jake the Snake Roberts and Doc Hendricks. Uh, and I know you didn't grow up with Jake the Snake like I did. I, I've always been a fan of Jake the Snake talking. And I think I even said there was a promo that Jake the Snake did. I think it was on Ted DiBiase. I don't remember what pay-per-view it was. But I remember he used the word the word avarice, which is like a synonym for like greed and, and stuff like that. And I remember he said the word avarice, and I looked it up in the dictionary. And it was like one of those things that made me interested in like language. So I I can thank Jake the Snake Roberts for like if, if anyone thinks I'm good at talking or have a good vocabulary or anything like that Jake the Snake Roberts is one of the people to thank for that. Uh, so I always appreciate any time Jake gets to talk. And we had this whole thing of like the comeback story of Jake the Snake Roberts, uh, which which is always compelling. Obviously he was a little older. He was a fan favorite. Uh, everyone was pulling for him. Owen was amazing talking about Jake, saying he's you know he's at least sixty years old at this point. He's forty one. He's my age. <laughs> talking we'll about he's he's in his sixties. You know he's pushing eighty or ninety years old. He says. Oh, <laughs> uh, I thought it was excellent, but yeah, it was great to to get a Jake the Snake um, interview in here. We had a semi. The other semifinal was Jake the Snake Roberts versus Vader. Um, 
obviously Vader being the heavy favorite, Jake wins via disqualification when Vader accidentally knocks over the referee. Um, I don't know that there's a lot to say about this match. Jake the Snake was unbelievably slow, well past his prime at this point. <laughs> like, he made me feel like a young spry 41 when I was watching him. Well, Owen did say he was 50 or 60. So. Yeah, and he, he, he did. I'm not going to pretend he didn't look it. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I I don't have a lot to say about this match. Did you have anything to say about this match? No, the only note I really have is I appreciate um, – well, first, I got to talk about Owen. So, uh, I'm, so who's pinning who in this situation? Okay, so I think I think it was Ahmed pinning one of Jim Cornette's guys, mm-hmm. and Owen interferes. He says, I was stopping Ahmad, Ahmed from attacking my manager. Yeah. And he clearly <laughs> broke my pinfall. He was nowhere near the manager. Yeah. So I got to appreciate that. <laughs> and in the, in the highlight package, they were showing how the, they were putting over the DDT and how, how Jake, that's how he got here. And they, they in that, at the, the end of the match, they were talking about that as well. So, like, for example, Jake was going for a DDT, but Vader grabbed the ref, and that's how Vader got disqualified, even though he was already down for three. So that's the only real note I have of the match. Yeah, I guess the, the only thing I'll say is they did do a good job of building the sympathy for Jake the Snake, like him being the older guy, him fighting the much bigger opponent, him walking out injured. And I will say he hit Vader with a really nice Rainmaker. Uh, in the middle of the match, which I don't know if you caught or not. No, I didn't catch that. Yeah, uh, some guy, Okada, uses it as a finisher <laughs> in, I think it's New Japan Pro Wrestling, and Jake the Snake <laughs> did it to to Vader midway through the match, and it, it didn't do anything. So, I don't know. Some people think that guy is, like, the greatest wrestler on the planet, and if you think that, you're wrong. Um, he's no our truth He's not. Uh, not even close. Not not by a long shot, as, as Stone Cold would say. Uh, Jim Cornette sucks. That was a note I had written down. I don't really know <laughs> why, course. but felt the need to say it. Uh, we got the Godwins versus the Smoking Guns uh, with a newly turncoated Sonny who left the Godwins for the Smoking Guns, specifically uh, Billy Gunn before he was Mr. Ass. Mm-hmm. Um in that interview segment, man, Billy Gunn was not good. <laughs> you know, I, no I one like should him. have put a microphone in front of Billy Gunn at that point. I like him less and less every time I watch him. Yeah. But, uh, but the person that would have been number one trending at this time would have been Sonny because she's right. <laughs> it's the most searched person on, on AOL. Yeah. <laughs> if you, boys and girls, Google that. Um, <laughs> and every time I see her on these shows, it's like. How the mighty have fallen because my guy gorilla. Did you like Sunny at this time? I did, yeah. Okay, yeah, because like, like I think it was hard not to because she was like the first one, like the first woman that they were starting when they were starting to portray them as like, like sexy and mm-hmm. explore like their their sexuality as opposed like Miss Elizabeth was never really she was portrayed as like beautiful and all these things, but she was never really sexualized. On Until TV WCW. because it was it was for kids mostly, yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. And this was kind of the first the first time I remember WWF like going in that direction. And Sonny was kind of the first one of that wave. She was the one that kind of like 
was the, the trailblazer in that sense. So yeah, I I had a, a special place for Sonny uh, for, from that era. Uh, I got to be honest, I fast forwarded this match because I just could not bring myself <laughs> to watch any of these guys wrestle. Yeah, yeah. There, there, there was nothing here either. Uh, I got one note before my only other note. So Jr. was like so upset at Sonny. So he he's basically laying her out, saying how she gets around. So yeah. no pun intended. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and my only note about this is Pash hates all of this. <laughs> I did. I think I got about forty five seconds into the match, and I was like, I can't. <laughs> I just can't do it. Um, my next note that I have. Oh, and the smoking guns walked out as the uh, tag team champion. Sonny was a pretty successful manager. She if you was. look back on it, she had a she lot got, of tag team around. champions. Yeah, she got around, but she, she, she got the job done. She did. <laughs> she, she was more successful than Lana. Yes. Oh, oh, oh God. <laughs> Listen to last week's about my red. <laughs> um, so my next note, once again, Cornette sucks. Uh, I guess there's an interview <laughs> he did backstage in the locker room with the Bulldog, and we have Mr. Perfect, you know, getting his gear together in the background as he was the, the special guest referee handpicked by Camp Cornette. Um, we then got to Jerry Lawler uh, going up against the Ultimate Warrior. The Ultimate Warrior in, in that video clip looking a little bit like Paulie Dangerously with the, <laughs> the baseball cap on and the ponytail. Yeah, the infamous baseball cap promo. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the Ultimate Warrior got a win over Jerry the King Lawler. I honestly didn't really have any rec- recollection of this, like him wrestling. The only thing I really remember Jerry Lawler doing in the ring at this time was he had that feud with with Brett, which might have been a couple years earlier. Uh, I think um, it was yeah, two years earlier. Yeah, I think it was 94. Um, yeah, I had no recollection re- recollection of this. I must have blocked it out of my mind. Um, I had no desire in 1996 to see The Ultimate Warrior do anything. <laughs> and I had no desire in 2020 to rewatch The Ultimate Warrior do anything. Uh, any thoughts from you other than, like, Lawler, obviously. I enjoy him every time he's handed a microphone. Well... I'm gonna I'm gonna go off that for a second. I appreciate him flaming the entire audience, mm-hmm. but I don't think none of the jokes hit with me. <laughs> <laughs> like I didn't laugh one time. I don't think, and I just brought up the baseball cap. So you have re- no recollection. You have any recollection of the whole baseball cap thing? Because like I haven't seen it in a long time. But in the Rise and Fall DVD of him, they talk about this time and how like everybody was so frustrated that he came out with with this baseball cap on Raw to cut this promo out unprofessional it was. And the internet will not, the internet will lose their shit if they saw somebody no sell a pile driver. <laughs> so I don't really have recollection of that. And I didn't really become a smart fan, quote unquote, until like the next year. I watched it, but I still kind of watched it more along the lines of like, kind of like a hobby than something I was super passionate about. Um, so I was super passionate about it as like a kid. Then I got into high school and I kept watching it, but I wasn't like super into it. And then when I think it was my senior year of high school, it probably was the, the rise of Austin really that got me to become like a huge fan. And then I started reading like internet message boards and stuff like that. Um, but no, yeah, see, I don't really remember that because I wasn't really 
talking about it like that. I wasn't really engaging about wrestling on the internet yet. Uh, so I don't remember it at all. And when I saw him in the baseball cap, I was like, he looks like ECW Paul Heyman to me. <laughs> um, I think So my next note is, and I actually loved this, and I'm curious what you think, because I feel like most of the time you grew up watching, you probably didn't have much of this. We had Gorilla Monsoon in the locker room with Jake the Snake and uh, Doc Hendricks, and Jake kind of being looked at, and Gorilla Monsoon talking about, you know, I'm going to let him compete. You know, how many more opportunities for gold does does Jake have left? And he's talking about, like, the possible injuries. Like, you know, we don't know if it's, like, a bruised rib or a cracked rib or if the intercostal muscles, which are, like, the little muscles in between your ribs, we don't know if there's maybe a tear in an intercostal muscle. And I, I love this, that he's, like, really portraying this as, like, a real sport, a real injury. Like, he's really being diagnosed. We're actually really considering whether we should let him compete or not. And, that like, that little segment actually... Added so much to the way they um, portrayed it the rest of the show, you know, and which we'll get into when we get to that. But like, I love this little segment. I loved Gorilla Mon, and that was one of the best things about Gorilla Monsoon in general was him treating it that way, like in mm-hmm. such a serious way. It was real competition, and these guys got real injuries, and they talked a lot about like scouting and all these different things that you kind of don't really hear anymore. Uh, or if you do, it's just kind of like a throwaway line. It's not part of the story, and I, I, I really loved that that little segment. Um, so here's where we get to Owen talking oh, about so Jake. good. So you know, good. I take my hat off. So, so they're talking about the credit you have to give Jake to Snake Roberts for coming out here with the injuries. And he's like, I have to take my hat off to, to Jake Roberts at 80 or maybe 90 years old <laughs> that he's coming out here. Like, like, I know you you had, like, this thing with JBL's serious voice. Mm-hmm. So Owen says this in, like, the most serious voice yes. ever. He's like, you know, what? Uh, at the age of 80, 90 years old, you know, you got to be concerned about where you go from here. Think about his life. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's something about someone using a serious voice when you know they're not really serious, you know, or it's like, you know, it's not genuine. Um, I always love that. Uh, And yeah, Owen pulled it off beautifully in in this situation. Uh, We then get Mankind versus The Undertaker, which I believe this was their first actual match against Uh... each other. I th- I know they had it's, run-ins it's one of the early before. Ones. I know they had run-ins before. Like I know mankind was like interfering in his matches and like attacking him in different um in different situations. And I think they may have even like battled it out a couple of times. I I believe this is their first match. I don't know for sure, but like you said, definitely very early. Um, and how great is it? First of all, mankind. I don't I don't know if people remember mankind in a way that I wish they did. I feel oh, like yeah. they they remember mankind being like silly and like feeling sorry for him and they remember him Was he even mankind when he got thrown off the top of the cell? Yeah, he was. Okay. So like that's what they remember is like that yeah. era of mankind. But the fact that when you look back at mankind, he was this like demented, crazy, like made you kind of uncomfortable. And he was there as a legitimate foil to the undertaker who at that point, like had there, had we ever seen anything like as dominant or whatever descriptor you could use for him as the undertaker. And here was this guy who was like 
clearly not in great shape, wasn't very big, wasn't the strongest guy, wasn't a great athlete, but he was just sick and twisted and, like, felt no pain and, like, actually enjoyed pain and all this stuff. And he came in and made life very difficult for The Undertaker. And there's something about that story that I love. And I feel like it's not remembered that way as much as I wish it was. Yeah, because we talked about this in January when we reviewed the Royal Rumble about who's Foley's biggest foe. You know, we said, I know, I said Triple H, his whole thing with The Rock was only for about a year, but my answer was Triple H. And then we talked about The Undertaker and all everybody remembers about his stuff with The Undertaker is fully off the cell. But this early stuff when he first came in was with The Undertaker and when Paul Barrow would eventually turn on him and like the boiler room brawls and this match in particular. And a lot of people, they don't remember mankind coming in as like, what was he like a mental patient? We're coming in with the straight jacket and stuff. A lot of people don't remember that. They remember, like you said, the funny goofy mankind or the hardcore cactus Jack. That's all they remember when it comes to Foley. But this match was like, it was no high fly maneuvers or anything, but, the element, the element that Mick Foley brings to the ring is that he's able to tell a story here, and he did really tell a story. And the pre-match to get you ready for the match, it told you how he was such a foil in the Undertaker's skin, and Bearer would cause him the match by by allegedly mistake. But this will be start the heel turn where Bearer would join mankind. Yeah, I, I thought this was like you said, this was not like a classic like five-star wrestling match, but I loved every second of this. Um, I loved all the stuff Mankind did with The Undertaker. I love that if you just looked at these two guys next to each other, you would never in a million years say Mankind should get over on The Undertaker, but like he consistently was at this time. Like He did such a good job of believably making life harder for The Undertaker, which I I don't think you could give uh, Mankind enough credit for being able to pull that off. Loved every second of it. It's a huge part of why I did give this a showstopper because I just had so much fun watching like this Mick Foley that a lot of people, I think, forget about or they overlook because they enjoyed the, some of the other stuff that he did. Um, oh, one more thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure you heard the news about Undertaker retiring. Have you heard that news? I did, yeah. So are you are you going to call him The Undertaker now or are you going to go back to Mark Calloway? <laughs> I I feel well. You know what? In all honesty, so I give the Undertaker a harder time than probably just about anyone else who does a wrestling podcast. Um, But I'll say this, especially now that he's officially retired, I think he is probably like the Undertaker itself is probably like the greatest character that's ever been created in wrestling history. I think himself, like, as an athlete and as an in-ring performer, even though I know he, like, people love him and he's got a ton of fans, I think for for his size, I don't know if there's anyone else that size that was as good in the ring as him for as long as he was. Um, I don't know if there's anyone who was so memorable for so long as him. Um, like, when when we talk about, like, HBK having these two great runs. Like there's like the pre-injury Sean and then the the run that post-injury Sean had. Or we even talk about like Jericho, like the length of time he's been as great as he's been. Jericho during all that time might might have been great, but he was not like the the top name 
for all that time, whereas The Undertaker kind of came in and was, like, one of the highest-billed guys immediately and was that way up until, like, unfortunately just this past year. So I guess what I'm trying to say is I do have a ton of respect for Mark Calloway and the career that he had. I do have a ton of respect for the character of The Undertaker. And at this point, if he is officially retired... I will call him Mark Calloway if that's what he wants, or I will call him The Undertaker if that's what he wants. I will leave that up to him. But I I am done being disrespectful towards The Undertaker now that he's retired. Okay. Now, have you watched the last Ride series? I haven't. Okay, uh, but so- I do think that it's probably something I should watch because the last few years taken out of the equation and the uh, obviously the Limp Biscuit years uh, taken out of the equation – like, I loved The Undertaker. I thought he was great. So, But continue with what you were going to say. Yeah, so a few weeks ago, Eric talked about it for a quick second. He talked about episodes two and three, because I only saw episode one. The series is complete now. So I'm up there to the last episode, and Eric wasn't too high on episode two and three. I'm not sure if his stance has changed because of how everything's progressed. Mm-hmm. But I thought episode two and three were excellent because – for example, it's not following his, his entire career. It's following him from WrestleMania 33, which we were at. And episode two is basically talking about the match with Roman and how god awful that match was. And didn't how, he say it, like he shouldn't have been wrestling? Yeah, yeah, he he hated the match, and like, they even show him watching the match back, and he could barely even watch it because he knows that that was not his performance. So his thing was he wanted to basically leave everybody with a good taste in their mouth to end his career. So that's when he came back from the match there later against Cena. He did all his little Undertaker stuff and went home. And fine, he was happy to do that. And then the month later, he the, the Saudi show, he, did, he beat Rusev, looked good, fine. Then you fast forward later in the year, they had the uh, the stuff with Triple H and Sean and 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 how god-awful that was and left a bad taste in his mouth then. And then they show the when they came back to Philly last year for Extreme Rules and how him and Roman had the tag match against Shane and Galloway and and how great he looked and took a lot of rough bumps. They show his training and stuff, trying to get back. And it's also fun to see him with his kids and Michelle and seeing how like Michelle supports him and, all, supports him and keeps, keeps, him, keeps him in shape and stuff. But it's nice to see like... Mark Calloway, he talked and he talked about basically like all the surgeries he's been through and how he keeps himself together and the pain he's been through. But I think it's been a good watch through. I can't wait to see the last episode, but he's officially retired and I'm glad that 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 he can leave with a high note after this past WrestleMania's Boneyard match. Oh yeah, and I I raved about the Boneyard match uh on our post WrestleMania review show. Um so, yeah, he, he definitely went out a lot better. Uh, for all the time I spent saying he should have retired already, uh, he definitely went out on a better note, you know, leaving this year than he did three years ago. Yeah, he, <laughs> so yeah. I have to give him credit for that, too. Yeah, and he seems like a fun guy backstage. You know, he's like, even at WrestleMania 35, he was there as a spectator. You know, he's just chilling with the guys backstage, and you see him interact with Vince and stuff. So it's actually nice to see, like, Mark Calloway and see how he's respected and how he carries himself backstage. It's 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 a, real, it's a really good watch. I can't wait to watch episode five tomorrow. So is that the last one or no? Yeah, it's only five episodes. Okay. Um, 
All right, so we had Mr. Perfect being interviewed by Doc Hendricks, and they talked about collusion uh, with him possibly being colluding with Camp Cornette. Uh, we had Shawn Michaels actually confront him backstage. Um, then we got Goldust versus Ahmed Johnson. Um, Goldust with friend of the show, Terry Runnels. Well, Marlena close, at this time. Close personal friend. Close personal friend. Um, right out of the gate, uh, Ahmed Johnson almost killed himself. Diving yes. Over the top, rope. top of my note. Oh, my God. I was like, oh, even though this ha- even though I know, you know, he was not paralyzed, like he continued to wrestle <laughs> after was this. This was 24 years ago, and I like vis- <laughs> like physically reacted to that. Like, oh my God. Um Goldust, you know, I don't I don't want to go on at length about Goldust because we've talked about him a ton. Uh, but always fun, especially that era Goldust, like the way he was pushing the boundaries in a way nobody else really was, and like for a long time, nobody else really did. Um, and we got Ahmed Johnson winning the Intercontinental Championship, and we had he had like that fun backstage like celebration that happened when he walked back with the title and gets greeted by Sean, and those two would become a tag team for a little bit. Very soon after this, uh, I believe, like right after this, by the end of the, the night next show, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, any thoughts you had on Goldust and? Ahmed Johnson. The the CPR clip from Raw. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, like, no, he saved his life. He owes gold us he, he saved his life. And like you talked about, like, we talked about this for months now and years. How great would Goldust be today? Especially with like social media and like his full embodiment of the character. You know, it would be so great to see him now. And you talked about Ahmed almost killed himself. And you kind of got to give it to Ahmed Johnson and everybody who worked for Goldust. Because you kind of wonder how, like, when you, he bounces ideas off of you. Like, do you go with it? Do you object to right. it? <laughs> like, the whole CPR thing, mouth of the mouth of mouth resuscitation. With the gold all over his mouth. Yeah, yes. It's like, 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 did anybody have any, like, turn back on that or right. what? And like I said, it's a lot of fun. And you talked about this with when you talked about Undertaker in the Mankind match. The three best characters, legit characters that WWE's ever come up with are Undertaker, who's dead, Kane, who's allegedly burnt, mm-hmm. and Goldust. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Goldust is great. Um and Angel's well, and like Angel will always pop for Goldust. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I always did too. Like I it always was a treat when Goldust would come out because you never you never quite knew what he was going to do or even if you did know what he was going to do, it was still fun to watch. You know, it, yes. and it was fun to see the way other characters had to react to the stuff Goldust did. Um and yeah, it it was funny because there was right behind commentary, I think, there was a sign someone was holding up that said like Ahmed needs more CPR or something like that, <laughs> which was funny. Um yeah, that that segment was great though. Uh we got a Brian Pillman interview with JR. Uh Brian Pillman on crutches. How amazing of a speaking voice did Brian Pillman have? <laughs> you just saw Angel's face looking at him like, what is he talking about? That like gravelly, yes. raspy voice. It was so the good. Eye, the eyes and the hair. The wild face. hair, the crazy eyes. He almost is like what people wish Dean Ambrose had been. Yeah. Like that's almost like what he was. Uh, and he obviously never reached like super high heights 
in WWF slash WWE, but super talented guy, great athlete, and I think he's, at the very least, he's someone that most fans look back on fondly. Mm-hmm. Like, for whatever reason, like, whatever reason people have to look back fondly on him, I think he's a guy that's very well respected, and now his son is in the business, and I think also is is pretty well respected at this point. Um yeah, I mean, a complete maniac, though, and I loved every second of it. Uh, we got the King of the Ring final match, Stone Cold Steve Austin versus a banged-up Jake the Snake Roberts. I did take note of the fact that when Vince talked about uh, Austin getting his lip stitched up, that he said he went to a local hospital, which they would never say now. <laughs> Medical facility. Yeah. He said he went to it. He said it a couple of times that he went to the hospital. Um Austin just absolutely massacred Jake the Snake. Gorilla Monsoon came out and tried to get in the I, middle of it. I did appreciate it. that because he, that he followed up on what he said earlier. Me too. I thought it was great. And like this, so this is the thing. We have that obviously Jake walking out selling the fact that he got injured by Vader. Um, you sold it even further with that segment with Gorilla Monsoon talking about the possible injuries and them deciding whether he could continue or not. Uh, followed up by like watching him walk out to the ring, clearly in pain and laboring, and then having such a hard time during the match. And then Gorilla Monsoon comes out. So it's like they did a really great job of selling that throughout the night. It wasn't just that they sold it when he left the ring. It wasn't just that he sold it when he was wrestling Austin. It was a story throughout the whole night. So I thought they did a really good job of selling that and, and kind of playing that out. He had a real brief comeback by Jake, uh, but then Austin hits a stunner, gets the win. Um, again, not a classic match, but leads to one of the more classic moments in WWF history when Austin gets up. And it, here's the funny thing, is Austin was clearly not a babyface at this point. He clearly was not a fan favorite at this point. And almost the entire promo when he was talking after that he was getting a negative reaction. Mm-hmm. But when he said, you know, you thump your Bible and you say you're John 316 and Austin 316 mm-hmm. says, I just whipped your ass, the crowd immediately cheered mm-hmm. and then went back to reacting negatively after that. But it was like he said that, and immediately in that moment, the crowd reacted positively to it, even though they hadn't reacted positively for any other moment that he was out there. And it was just really interesting in hindsight to see that, like, immediately people appreciated. That line. Um, and especially great him like him doing that while Jake is hobbling out of the arena. Mm-hmm. Um, and he talks, and this is maybe another great thing, a part that maybe gets overlooked, is how he talked about, like, I'm talking to everybody else here. Like, I'm going to start running through all of you. I don't care who you are. Like, I'm going to run through everybody. And it's almost like a throwaway line at that point because I don't think anyone viewed him as, like, a possible world champion yet. But then you now look back and you know what he did after that. It's like, well, shit, that dude did exactly what he said he was going to do. And it almost makes that character, like, even better than you remember in retrospect. Yeah, definitely. And uh, did the Pillman thing happen immediately after this? Um, No. With the gun? Or was that in 97? I think that was in... nine. I don't think it was immediately after that. I think it was a little bit further down the line. Okay. And like you said, um, 
him telling everybody, telling them get get Jake out, get Jake out the ring, mm-hmm. and the, like you said, the whole point of him like naming everybody that he's on run through, he ran, he did run through everybody, and then he did end up being strong for the title eventually in '98. But definitely a, a huge promo, probably one of the big, biggest promos in wrestling history. And like we have this, like we always say, it's like, what if, what if Triple H never got in trouble? Yeah, like. Oh, who knows what would be different if everything would be different. Um, so I'm looking this up now just because I don't want to say the wrong thing. So it looks like the the Pillman gun thing happened in November of 96. Okay. So, so it was close. like, you know, five, six months later, I guess. Okay. Um, yeah, the promo itself was great. Um, like I said, who who knew, that though, that even look, we all remember that promo. We all remember how iconic it was. Um, but you look back on it and then hear the stuff he said even after the Austin 316 line. It's like, wow, like he was calling his shot and then he did everything he said he was going to do. It's it really cool to see that, like after the fact. Mm-hmm. Um, we had the Sega Saturn blimp. Floating around, which which made me laugh. I never owned a Sega Saturn. Oh, I don't think terrible. I. I don't think I knew anyone who did. Um, <laughs> I knew one person. It was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> um, any other thoughts on Austin? No. Okay. I think we um, hammered it down. So Mr. Perfect makes his way out as the special guest referee. Um, they showed that there was the the simultaneous three count the last time these guys faced off. Um, so we end up with the British Bulldog challenging HBK for the, the WWF championship. Uh, Gorilla Monsoon comes out and says that uh, Mr. Perfect will be the official outside of the ring and Earl <laughs> Hebner will be officiating inside of the ring, which Camp Cornette, not happy about it. Owen, not happy about it. Um, I think JR even made a comment of like, well, if Mr. Perfect is calling everything down the middle, why do you care? Like, what does it matter then? <laughs> you know, you're, you're only upset because he was going to help your guy win. Uh, and a lot of times he was saying, like, we're going to bring the title home. The, yeah. the title's coming home with us. And Jared was like, well, what do you mean us? <laughs> yeah, and uh, there was a line where uh, Bulldog was coming down with his wife. And Owen's like, well, look at my beautiful sister. We're all a beautiful and handsome family. And JR's like, well, JR's like, well you, are you adopted? He's like, what are you trying to say, JR? <laughs> yeah, I, I thought Owen was excellent throughout the night, especially during this match because of how much he had invested in it. Um, mm-hmm. He like legitimately had an open rooting interest in the title mm-hmm. match. Um, the British Bulldog, you know, he was a guy that like I loved as a little kid. Like I loved the tag team, the British Bulldogs. Like I remember living and dying with them against the Hart Foundation in like the mid eighties. Um, didn't love the bulldog as much by himself. Uh, as I got older, like into my teen years, I mean, he was a good wrestler. He obviously was like a huge, strong guy. Um, and I actually thought this match with Sean, like I thought it was good. Um, not a classic like Sean obviously had many better matches than this but like do you look back on one what did you think of this match and two like what are your thoughts looking back on the Bulldog I thought it was a really good match it was like I said it's always good to see young Sean when he was sexy mm-hmm. and uh like I thought they had good chemistry in this match like especially like I'm not I'm not familiar with the Bulldogs British Bulldog but like he's like a big stocky guy at this 
big soccer guy at this point. I thought he he worked real real, real well with Sean. He nearly he nearly killed him when he threw him to the outside with that military <laughs> press. But I thought but I thought they they worked well together. Um, Shawn Michaels always is a treat to watch, especially when he was younger. And my thoughts on the Bulldogs, I don't have much recollection of a prime Bulldog. You know, I get, I always hear about his most classic match with Brett for the IC title. I believe that, did that main event a SummerSlam in London? I don't remember if it was a main event, but it definitely was a SummerSlam in London. Okay, yeah, I always hear about that, but I don't have much on him. But I know later in his career, he just... Was a, was just there for the most part mm-hmm. between there and WCW. Yeah, I enjoyed the match. Like you said, it's always fun to watch old Sean, um, and it's also fun to like watch him in matches I haven't watched a hundred times. Because mm-hmm. like there are probably like fifteen or twenty HBK matches that I've seen at least ten times, and this is one I probably only saw the original night I watched it and never watched it again. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was a fun match. It was a good match. Uh, there was one point when Sean hit Cornette in the ass with his tennis racket. And yes. I, could, I could only imagine Cornette really enjoyed it. Yes. Uh, based on recent, you know, recent information that's come out about him. I could only imagine how much he, he liked that. And it makes me wonder now, why did he hate Sean so much? Was there maybe something he wanted from Sean that Sean wasn't willing to give him? <laughs> I don't know, but he has a weird distaste for, for Sean. Um, I, th- it was a fun match. It was like a good main event. To what I uh, a show that I had a lot of fun watching, um, and then the match immediately is followed by Sean fighting Camp Cornette by himself for a little while, and then Ahmed Johnson coming out and helping him, and the two of them getting decimated by Camp Cornette, which led to them forming a, a tag team for a little while. Um, I think they were even on a Survivor Series team together, if I remember correctly. Well, they might have been this year. Yeah, because I think they might have been because the the Montreal screw job was ninety seven, so, so it would have to be this year. Yeah, I think they probably were that year. Um, so, like, what are like now that we've gotten to the main event? Um, like, what are your overall thoughts? Like, looking back, like, so obviously we know everything that has now unfolded from that night forward. Like, how do you look back? On on this show, and and is there anything you take away from this show beyond, like the kind of the truly the birth of Stone Cold Steve Austin? Um, no, there, there was just certain things I, I just forgot. Like this, like you said, the birth of Stone Cold Steve Austin. He's only Stone Cold for maybe a few weeks or so at this time. But I think he like, debuted as Stone Cold March 11th, but he was still like with Ted DiBiase. Okay. Um. But I, I don't think he truly became started to become the Stone Cold Steve Austin that would run roughshod over WWF until like this night. Yeah, so it was different. To see, it was fun and different to see him still as that technician and not the brawler. And I did appreciate that. And I always hear about how he never talked a lot before. So knowing that, watching that promo when he won King of the Ring, it actually brings up brings a voice to him and we know well know how iconic that promo actually became as for the rest of the card nothing really sticks out because this is still like a rough time for the company you know the company doesn't really pick up till next year in 97 which 97 is like a huge year for wrestling well for wwf and wrestling in general but nothing nothing really to take away from i think it's nice to see the rise of stone cold but the rest of the card it's going it's getting up there to that attitude that real level point but there's still kind of 
finding their way to get to a certain point. And the more they went with Austin, the higher they went. It was like the first steps of mm-hmm. like what they were going to turn into within the next year or two. Um, so yeah, a lot of fun. I had a really fun time watching it. I've had a fun time discussing it. Uh, obviously, it, it was great to kind of go back to like the beginning of something, and we saw the beginning of of Stone Cold Steve Austin. Um, so if you like the show, please leave us a five star rating or review uh, on uh, well, it's Apple Podcasts now, right? I don't even think it it is iTunes anymore. Uh, so leave Apple us podcast, we'll Apple Podcast <laughs> review uh, of five stars, please. Um, I guess you can listen to us on you know wherever you listen to your podcast. We're available. Uh, Alo, would you like to move uh, some merchandise? Yes. Uh, head over to What a Maneuver Net for your Matt Madness gear. And next week is all about Vengeance 2003. And I know this is a time that you didn't really watch, but I was like on the, like I was still in to some degree. Okay. Okay. So you'll appreciate this. So Randy Orton's not in this card. So you might appreciate it. (laughs) Okay. So So we're off to a good start. Yes. So he's not on this card. So you can actually appreciate it. So Ben in 2003 is next week. And a week after that, it's about, it's all about fully loaded 1999. Okay. Uh, Well, two good choices. So, Hopefully uh, you enjoyed this show. Hopefully, if you didn't already, go back and watch King of the Ring 96 uh, and go forward and watch uh, Fully Loaded 99 or Vengeance 03 so you can enjoy this show uh, even more the next couple weeks. So I guess that is it for uh, Mr. Wednesday Night Live. We call him Alo. The ladies call him Balo. Aaron Lloyd. I am Ron Pashery Jr. And we will see you next week. Hop on the top rope. About the land with this elbow. Got him now, put him down right now. Hit him with the palm handle. Tuning up the band, y'all don't understand. Fist of Superman, it's a summer slam. Here we go again. Fans mocking man, man, I hate my ball. Shut the mission, man. It ain't safe to land off the cell. Fans love it, ain't hard to tell. Talking madness, awesome. Well, what I'm cooking, man, y'all off the smell.